You are listening to City Speak with Max Masudafarkas. Of the ancient Greek urban planner Hippodamus of Miletus, Aristotle wrote that he was the first to contemplate how the physical structure of a city will necessarily influence its social and political structure. Although the day-to-day tasks of today's urban planners may sometimes involve the comparatively more prosaic work of, say, deciding whether a grocery store should be allowed next to a laundromat or whether a bike lane should be separated by pylons, it is precisely these urban features that, while perhaps so unnoticeable as to be subliminal, shape our outlook on our cities and, accordingly, our outlook as citizens. Few are as keenly aware of this important and sensitive relationship as the director of L.A.'s city planning department, Vince Bertoni. Vince joins us to discuss what innovations his department has been making to L.A. zoning code, what he views as the proper role of land use regulators, and whether the concept of the 15-minute city is a passing fad or a lasting trend. Stay tuned. Season three of City Speak is sponsored by Batoni Architect. Batoni Architect is an award-winning design firm with a body of work ranging in building type and scale from interiors to master planning. Visit batoniarchitect.com to see their work. Vince Bertoni, welcome to City Speak. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. We're really thrilled to have you on, and we have tons to talk about. But let's start. What was your path to becoming the director of city planning? It may be an interesting path or may not be, but I was actually in my degree in colleges in geography, so not city planning. And and um, so that's very much a, a degree about places. Uh, I, I really worked through cities throughout Southern California and the LA, greater LA metropolitan area, first starting out at really the public counters. Um, and I think that was really important because I really got to see the impact on planning on people's lives, whether it is a small business owner, um, whether it is a homeowner, and really how the rules that we apply, how, how it has meaning to people, um, if you will, and, and and really also helping people navigate a really tough, complex uh, bureaucratic system. So then I really moved around and, and did different things, working on both, you know, dealing with larger development projects, dealing with a lot of policy, went throughout Southern California, working for cities such as Malibu, Santa Clarita, Beverly Hills, and Pasadena, and um, ended up here in Los Angeles as the planning director. So it's in some ways a, uh, probably a, a natural path for a city planner um, in, a, in a really traditional way of, of, of seeing different aspects of the position. One of the most significant efforts your team recently has taken up for the city is the downtown Los Angeles community plan update. And since I think it can serve as a, a really terrific case study for many of the topics we'll touch on today. Um, Let's just start by having you explain to our listeners, particularly those tuning in from outside the LA area, of which we have many, thankfully, uh, what exactly is the downtown community plan update and what's its significance? So in in California, we do general plans, which is really a long-term plan and some states call them comprehensive plans, but they look forward in the city about 20 years. LA is so large, uh, you know, 469 square miles and so diverse that we take our long range plan, the general plan, and really divide it into 35 community plans for the purposes of really looking forward on land use uh, for the city. So downtown is you know, the, the one that's in our downtown and central to the city. And, and it's really important because 
it is both a long-term visioning plan as well as it incorporates within it um, aspects of zoning in terms of how zone how 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 we're actually going to apply the regulation and in downtown's particular case we are actually looking at completely re-envisioning how we do zoning in the city of los angeles we're, we're adopting a brand new zoning code and we're applying it community plan by community plan so eventually we go through and update all 35 community plans with this brand new zoning and this will be the the first time we have um, uh, changed our zoning from the ground up since 1946. And if you think about 1946, World War II had just ended. We were discovering and moving to places from downtown on the west side of Los Angeles to places to the farmlands of the San Fernando Valley. And it was a very different time, very much expanding with the car, the city with the car. And that's not who we are and what we are as a city today. We have a very different future. So this really is a way for us to really acknowledge where we are today and think very much into the future about how how we should really be building our city. So the first of the of the new zoning will be applied to downtown, and it's it's not just a ground up zoning, but it's a different way of looking at zoning. It's something that we call a form based code, which really integrates the design of the building, I think, much more carefully into the zoning. Um, so it's really thinking about the forms of the buildings that come in and the relationships with the street, the relationship with public spaces in a very much more careful careful way. And through that, because we're looking through the zoning in a much more careful and thoughtful way from a design standpoint, we would hopefully be, have, be able to have a little bit more flexibility in what we can do within the code. It's also important in downtown Los Angeles because we actually are looking at um, this area, which is only about 1% of our overall total land area for the city, but we're looking at providing 20% of our future growth here. So we really are looking at, at rethinking it and really concentrating our growth and our population growth down here. So it's, it's, it's we're re-envisioning the city as a place and the downtown as a place, which really reinforces its center where jobs are and where cultural services are, but also where, pe where people live and making it truly a 24-hour downtown. In fact, we're looking at more than possibly doubling the part of downtown where we can actually have um, housing. We're also looking at how we interact with the differing parts of downtown. Um, you know, downtown is not just one monolithic area. You know, we have many different parts of it. We have we have a civic center core as part of that, which City Hall is part of. We also have an office core over in our, our central business district as well as Bunker Hill. We do have a historic core, which we have uh, one of the largest collection of historic uh, theaters and movie theaters in, in, in the country. We, are, we have the arts district, a former industrial area from the early 20s, late 1800s and early 1900s, which really been transforming into a place of, of not just where it's industrial, but also where people um, work in maybe office jobs as well as residential cafes and other cultural amenities. We have Skid Row right in between the store core and arts district, um, which is really important because we have a um, longstanding population of people who are unhoused in, in that part of the city. And we have to think very carefully and thoughtfully about we house people and provide services to them in the, this area. We have the area over by Staples Center, which is both sports and entertainment. You have over in that particular area. And we have uh, Little Tokyo um, near City Hall, as well as Chinatown. Union Station. So this is a very, even though it is a downtown area, there's a lot of diversity within it. One of the things that we're also looking at in terms of downtown is not just how we design through the code and how we, we deal, deal very carefully with, with these places, 
but also we want to take a take a look at how do we do that planning in terms of providing development rights in a way that that really centers it on housing people and housing people with affordable housing. So for example, right now we have, um, if a developer wants to go above a certain base with development in downtown, we have, uh, in parts of downtown, we have an option to go through what's called the transfer of floor area rights. And that is, it is a, a program where we basically take certain unused development in part capacity in parts of downtown and transfer it um, so a developer can build higher and they would put money into a into a fund that could that could fund a variety of things for the city. What we're looking at is replacing that with a system that we think is more clear and consistent and really centers it on affordable housing. So we're creating a new base and bonus system so that whenever a developer wants to go above us, above what's allowed in terms of a base density, they always have to put in affordable housing. So it really centers affordable housing as, as our primary goal in terms of allowing for additional development in, in the downtown area. So there's a lot of different things that we're trying to put into this plan. It's, there's a lot of things that will be unique to the city. And, and in some ways we think some of the aspects that we're doing are unique anywhere in terms of planning. I was interested to learn just now that there hasn't been an overhaul of the zoning code since right after World War II. And so I have to ask, what do you suspect is the reason that the zoning code hasn't been looked at or at least overhauled in such a long time? That's a great question. You know, I think what worked about the existing zoning is it allowed for it to be changed over time. So it had it had some ability within it for, for the city to amend it from time to time to time to time to time. So it allowed for a certain amount of flexibility. Um, but I think we've really come to the end of that because at some point in time, you have a, a, a code, which is your base code, and you start to make some, some small changes and those small changes over time um, become really difficult to really implement and enforce. So what it, they require is sometimes a development that make, make perfect sense for a place, yet it has, it may be a, a high rise office building or high rise apartment building right next to a subway station, yet it's gotta go through six or seven or eight different types of entitlements. So what it, what it did over time was allow for flexibility, but that flexibility came with a cost. Mm -hmm. And that cost was a really complex entitlement system. So that's, I think that's kind of how we got to where we are today. And, and we're gonna try to, to really take a look at that and see how we can bring it down to something that's gonna, that will last, you know, hopefully at least that long, if not longer. You mentioned that flexibility was one of the principal aims of this revision. And you've talked about in the past in previous interviews, um, how one of your aims has been to make a, the zoning code generally more flexible so as not to hamstring in particular entrepreneurship and innovation in LA. And that goal seems like an especially vital one now when you consider the relatively uncertain and at times unstable state of the economy. Um, so what are some examples of that either in the downtown community plan update or elsewhere in which you are putting flexibility at the forefront? That's a great question. And, and I think that what you're, we're seeing now as we're going through a change, right now, you know, with the end of a pandemic. And in a lot of ways, this has probably accelerated previous trends than we've had in the past that, that have been going on for a while, but now just accelerated them. One of the things that we're doing is 
really thinking about more flexible spaces and allowing the zoning and what uses going to buildings much more flexible. If we, as I mentioned before, if we really pay more careful attention to the design of the building, what that allows us to do is be more flexible what the uses are with, with inside. And if you think about what's different than the 1920s, when LA grew very dramatically in some ways, we moved over from that period of time, the ensuing decades, is a time where we really separated our uses. What the automobile did and what this current zoning code from 1946 did, it really was very much auto-looking plan and zoning strategy. And what that allowed us to do was, and what happened over time, was we separated our uses. You lived in one part, you worked in another part, and then you and then you may have shopped in another area of the city. And it really separated our uses. And we were, as this plan was going through, we were really kind of thinking about, is that really going to be the future? And if you think about where we have been, is we're living and working and shopping in the exact same space. And that's never something that we've done in the, in the past. So what this plan does is much more flexible in terms of the kinds of uses. It doesn't really separate the uses like we did in the past. So it's giving a lot more in terms of mixture of uses. One of the challenges sometimes is that we have um, parking requirements where we require development to have a minimum number of parking spaces for whatever they do, whether it's housing unit, whether it's a shopping retail, whether it's an office. What this new plan does for downtown LA, it doesn't require any minimum parking. That in and of itself, combined with the flexibility in terms of the uses you can put in a building, the fact that we're not requiring the parking, really is going to allow allowed, I think, development and, and, and people actually not just develop new buildings, but actually occupy existing buildings in a much more flexible way. So some, some buildings that weren't able to be used as maybe a restaurant or maybe even retail or because they didn't have the parking that was required by the code can now go in and maybe rely upon other types of things that have been happening lately, such as ride sharing apps where people are now getting on all the various ride shares, um, Uber and Lyft to go from place to place. And so I think there's a lot of combination of things that, that's been happening that's really um, driving our flexibility in a code that we, really we think will be much more innovative. Another benefit, I think, to flexibility generally is, and you touched on this with ride hailing, that rate at which a technology is impacting the built environment is kind of unbelievable now. And one domain in which that is really apparent in the built environment, I think, is this flux between retail and e-commerce. And I know that you've talked about this in the past. So how has the planning department dealt with those macro trends affecting retail given the rise of e-commerce? Really, if you think about e-commerce, what's happened with e-commerce is there's not there's not the need for the the old school bricks and mortar storefronts. And what you you see in, in the city, and that trend has been going on for a while. And so there's a few things that, that we need to take a look at is, is what first and foremost is, is um, the malls. You know, Southern California, LA is especially famous for malls and these, especially these indoor enclosed malls that, that really um, are no longer, there's not nearly the need for them that we had in the past. That's been giving us the opportunity to really, and those are very large spaces. And that's been giving us the opportunity to rethink some of these large spaces right in right in some of our urban cores, core where we can actually take what were these mall spaces and create it for places like offices. Think the Westside Pavilion shopping shopping mall in the west side of Los Angeles on Pico near Westwood, and that has has closed down. And now it's in basically two parts. The majority of it, um, one part will be a, a campus for for Google, and that's really 
some exciting future is that we can create some new kind of work environments. And this, this is a high rise, you know, another interesting thing about, about the rise of e-commerce, it's happening at the same time that the need for traditional high rise office building is, is really, at least in Los Angeles, is really waning. And what's really rising in its place are these flexible creative office spaces that are typically shorter. The, the people want to work closer to the ground. They want to be able to be very close to, to being able to get a cup of coffee, quickly or to have some outdoor where you can walk outdoor to a patio or, or outdoor recreation space very quickly. So I think that's an interesting thing is there is there's going to be a natural fit there to, to think about really flexible ways of, of working. Another thing about that e-commerce is just just the, the, the storefront. And that's something that we really need to think about is just the everyday storefront along our streets and think about the main boulevards, the main streets of Los Angeles. And that's something where we're really looking at is are there uses that can go in there that really could support um, very much neighborhood serving uses they can that can really support the communities that are there that are around them um, as well as as maybe provide different alternatives types of housing we're looking at different housing typologies that may work there we're looking at different types of, of businesses that would go in there that aren't retail businesses so i think it gives us that opportunity you know combined with we need to be really flexible with how we do not just the uses that are allowed within there but also how we do our parking our parking requirements as part of that talking about parking one trend that i've been interested in since the pandemic is the the birth of these parklet outdoor dining options and to the extent you can share or and project into the future do you anticipate those as a, a lasting change or do you see that as something that will be a temporary fix for many of the challenges that business owners and restaurants have faced over the past year and a half? You know, I think it's going to be a long-term change. Sometimes you, you, you have something that's introduced into your city, sometimes over a short period of time that gets embraced fairly quickly because people, because it gets to be used by so many people. And, and you're granting access that you never had access to. I'll give you an example in my mind. It may seem completely different, but several years ago, the state changed its laws on accessory dwelling units. And those are things such as granny flats in someone's backyard. Before then, we were approving maybe 100 units a year of accessory dwelling units. After the state law changed, we're, we're doing something like over 5,000 a year. And now it has become incredibly popular because it's given access to another type of housing in people's backyard. And it's also allowed for, for people to create equity and wealth in their home. It's created a place for people to have housing. And all of a sudden, it's something that no one really had. And I don't know that a lot of people every day in Chilindo probably thought about it much. They probably didn't think, what I really need is an accessory dwelling unit. That's what I need. <laughs> right. They're not thinking that. But as soon as that became available and someone started to do it and another person did it, then they said, oh, this is great for me. And I think it's something that 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 is that we're not going to go back on and that people really value that and see that as the future. I look at these these parklets as something somewhat similar to that. I'm not sure that everyone really in LA realized that's what they needed, but they, they all of a sudden when these things popped up in the middle of the pandemic and all of a sudden they were able in their own communities, in their own neighborhoods, were able to use spaces they were never able to use before. You know, sometimes they were, they were parking spaces, a lot of them, and they're starting to, to be able to use them and dine there. And then all of a sudden the nature of their 
community and their their neighborhood becomes a lot more vibrant. If you've noticed, there's a lot of creativity in some of these, right? So it's really brought some creativity and uses. So I think it's something that's here to stay. And and I think it's something that's 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 really a positive thing in terms of really, you know, community building and place making the city. You mentioned in your in in your answer to the community plan update that you intend to allocate something like I think you said twenty percent of growth in the downtown area. And your answer made me curious about how you see the planning department's relationship, call it with the free market or, or, or business owners at large. And the, the notion that you would allocate 20% of growth to downtown is obviously contingent upon the people that are leading the growth, namely business owners, actually riding that wave along with you. And this might be a a bit of a tough question, more maybe your political philosophy in a way. How do you see your role, in particular the planning department's role, in incentivizing and encouraging growth alongside business owners and in the private sector? It's a great question. You know, it's it's really, and I think about that all the time. <laughs> and it's, it's really talking about sometimes the very nature of planning, right? Because the very nature of planning is we're in a free market society that's regulated. And we're part of that regulation of the free market through zoning. We're, 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 we're regulating a place. We're regulating what a place looks and feels like. And we shape it through regulation. But we need the free market to, to really implement that vision. We don't implement the vision. We don't effectuate the vision. It's the private development that does it. So, you know, I see the role as very much a conversation that we have with business and development interests because, because what we want to see is, is and we have conversations about you know kind of what our goals are. What are the things that are helpful for them for us to achieve their their goals? I mean, a good example of that would be something like some of the incentive programs that, that we've created. One example is our transit-oriented communities incentives program. And that was an outgrowth of a local ballot measure on the city of LA's um, ballot back back in November 2016. And what it did, there was a ballot measure that was primarily focused on providing certain wages for labor as well as certain amount of affordable housing. And there's a provision in there that allowed us in the planning department to create incentives for housing focused around transit. And when we created those incentives, we, we really wanted them to be used. We worked with affordable housing builders, affordable housing advocates. We worked with um, economists and we said, okay, what are the things that we can do to really spur along growth of housing near the, this transit as well as affordable housing. We've been in a housing crisis for several years now and we needed we, we know we needed to build housing but we also needed to build affordable housing. We we could see the the crisis for, with unhoused people in Los Angeles happening too back in 2016. So we developed an incentive-based system really working and understanding and having conversations with the private sector. And it's been successful. That's actually been a lot more successful than we thought. When we developed this, we developed it and adopted it within about nine months after the ballot went into place. And within a, a, just a couple of years, it equates to a little less than half, roughly probably about 45% of all the new housing element, housing units that are coming into the city that are getting proposed through the planning department. Roughly around 45% are through this transit-oriented incentives program. Wow. It's actually increased our overall housing supply and dramatically increased the amount of affordable housing that's getting built in the city. And so we've seen a, a tremendous uh, uptick in housing and affordable housing as part of the a part of that program. And it, it works not because we just sat in isolation and decided 
that this is what we thought this city was going to look like. We worked with the people who had actually built things and find out exactly what would work for them. I'd like to close with an idea that has been generating some buzz even outside the planning world, I think, and has kind of broken into the mainstream a little bit. And that's the concept of the so-called 15-minute city. And the idea, as I'm sure you're familiar, is that cities can be designed such that all of the residents' basic needs, that is work, food, entertainment, et cetera, are accessible within a 15-minute radius of their own home. Do you see this as just a, a passing fad that will just pass with time? Or do you think of it as a coherent planning doctrine for LA or other cities? You know, I, I think it has the potential of being the future. I, you know, I think it was our past in some ways, and I think it's potentially going to be the future. I think one of the interesting things that we see with all of our technological advances and its implications on what we do within the city and how we live and work and move around and enjoy a city, a lot of the technology allows us to do what we did maybe 100 years ago or 200 years ago in cities. And so... So I look at the 15-minute city and I think it's it's an interesting goal and it's it's something that, that I think is perhaps realistic. I think about Los Angeles as a place, um, in a place where people have lived. You know, we started with the people, the Tongva and Tatavian people, who are the original people here in Los Angeles. And we've been building upon how we use this place ever since then. What is part of some of the core of Wilshire Boulevard started as a, a, a walking path for the Tongva people. And it built upon when we have the colonial period, and then we had the um, the various colonial periods, if you will, from the Spanish colonial and American colonial period. And then as we developed more recently in the recent past of Los Angeles, this idea that, that Los Angeles is a disconnected place, actually its origins are from the 1800s, from our more modern times. And because we had a very complex intercity rail system that, that really connected these various cities and towns within LA and LA and the LA area, um, which had allowed the city in some ways to grow out in a sprawling way. And then we had streetcars that came along. You know, we had we had some roads and streetcars. And so we had the the rail roads and streetcars before the freeways that allowed, in essence, to create these disconnected cities and towns. But then the freeways came along. And you know what that really did was allow um, engineers to use their city differently. And that's when we started to live and work and shop in very different places. Because when the freeways came around and the, and the major boulevards, what that allowed us to do is much, move much more quickly around the city. And we started to be much more disconnected. I think that LA, because its DNA kind of is still, is still based upon those, those smaller little cities and towns, and LA ended up incorporating in some of these cities and now are part of the city of, of LA. But these differing communities and neighborhoods with Los Angeles really grew up in a, in a differing time because of the railroads and, and the streetcars and some other things happening at that period of time. I think that what you see in terms of technology is allowing us to return back to that and perhaps to a 15 minute city. Part of it's gonna allow it is it's gonna be our, our investment in, in transit, but also when it look at technology, I mean, the fact, that, that you look at e-commerce, you look at things such as the, the sharing industry, such as the ride sharing industry. If we haven't, we haven't talked about it, but if we do come to autonomous vehicles, you know, that could help in terms of some of these things. So it's really going to allow us to really have a lot more things we can do 15 minutes to our homes. We could, we could work, we could shop, 
we can have fun and our recreation, our, our schooling, all these types of things could be in really shorter, smaller spaces, if you will, um, within the city of Los Angeles. And so I think it is something that that's realistic. And I actually think LA is probably better positioned than almost any other major city um, that I can think of, in, at least in North America, to do that. Vince Bertoni, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Max. Great being here. Thanks for tuning in to City Speak with Max Masuda-Farkas. City Speak is produced in partnership with Urbanized Media, with music and sound production by Greg Gordon-Smith and Source Code Creative Media. Be sure to visit urbanized.city, now featuring commercial real estate news in Atlanta, Austin, Chicago, Detroit, LA, and New York. <laughs>